together. An interview series exploring the possibilities of cross-architecture development with those who live it. I'm your host, Nicole Huseman. We've continually talked about the increasing adoption of SICL for heterogeneous computing. And March brought exciting news. The National Energy Research Scientific Computing Center at Lawrence Berkeley Lab and the Argonne Leadership Computing Facility, or ALCF, are working with CodePlay software to enhance the LLVM-based DPC++ open source compiler based on the SQL standard to support NVIDIA GPUs. Today, we're catching up with Dr. Raymond Reyes-Castro at CodePlay Software and Kevin Harms at Argonne Lab about this collaboration. As CTO at CodePlay, Raymond has deep experience in high-performance computing with a focus in compiler and runtime development. He's been one of the major contributors to the SQL programming model and has led the research and implementation teams for Compute CPP and the DPC++ CUDA backend within CodePlay. Thanks for joining us, Ruman. Thank you. As senior software developer at Argonne, Kevin leads the ALCS performance engineering team. His research interests include parallel I.O. and file systems, high-performance computing and storage, and platform analysis and benchmarking. Great to have you with us, Kevin. Thanks. So let's dive in. Kevin, I'm sure some folks may be wondering, why does Argonne want to enable Perlmutter at Berkeley Lab? Well, if I could start off with a little bit longer answer, I mean, the labs have a long history of working with each other. So us at ALCF have always worked closely with NERSC on various aspects. And so, of course, you know, we're always interested in working with them. But more specifically for ALCF's upcoming Exascale system, Aurora, it'll be featuring Intel GPUs using DPC++ as one of our key programming models. And of course, we'd like to enable portability across the various big compute systems in DOE. And so we wanted to work with NERSC because they were also interested in enabling SQL on their platform. And so we kind of worked together with them and CodePlay to come up with some arrangement to help enable the SQL DPC++ work that will work on their upcoming Perlmutter system. I think that's very exciting. So in CodePlay, we have been working in SQL since, well, before it was called SQL, probably even since 2013. And one of the main things we have always been looking forward is to make sure that we have the right programming model for scientists and for developers that want to write code that is portable across different architectures, right? And once we get to the point that people in the HPC environment started to use it, including national labs, then we quickly realized that we needed to target the elephant in the room, which is the CUDA, right? So there's a lot of code written in CUDA, and we need to be able to lift that code up to an open standard and make sure we can port it to other platforms. And that's why we got involved with DPC++ and the CUDA backend. And that's why we decided, well, we get SQL code running on CUDA, we can make this ecosystem much more open and much more accessible to everyone. And then once we did the, the first prototype that we contributed back to the DPC++ repo, then we got the ball rolling. We got the SQL spec now supporting things beyond OpenCL. And that's when we got engaged with National Labs here with Kevin and others. And we realized that, well, let's make this something that scientists can actually use. Let's make this something that people can write code today on CUDA platforms 
and have that code ready for the future for whatever architecture comes later on. Like, I mean, ACLF have the case of the Intel GPUs coming, but there might be others coming in other labs that will be supported with the single problem model. And that's very exciting. And we are very, very keen on contributing to this effort. You touched on one of the things that is very important to, I think, Department of Energy and the various labs is portability. A lot of the users who will run on NERSC will also run on Argonne's Aurora machine or Oak Ridge's Frontier machine. And we want to enable abilities for those codes to be run in multiple places without needing to re-engineer them all. And Department of Energy has always been out in the forefront regards to portability. I mean, they were key players in the MPI standard, key players in OpenMP. And so we've kind of gotten a bit behind the eight ball with CUDA becoming such a large platform, but only supported on a single system. And so we really want to push the envelope and bring Sickle and DPC++ to the forefront because those are open standards and also open source and develop an ecosystem around those. Yeah, I think that's really interesting. One of the main things that they sound there is you have all of this CUDA code, right? And you have all the investment in CUDA. And imagine that for the sake of the argument, CUDA tomorrow came and say, well, now it's an open and anyone can implement it, right? Even if you had that, there is still the fact that who is controlling that environment? Who is controlling the features? Who is controlling what you can do with that programming model, right? The best thing about having this open standard like SQL is that there's different companies with different interests and different hardware platforms that all want to work together to make sure that we drive the standards towards an environment that can be portable for different systems. So when the national labs decide to say, I'm going to write this code, they don't have to think, oh, if I go down this path, I'm going to be locking myself accidentally to a specific hardware architecture. Whereas if you go down with an open standards, you say, well, I'm going to use the code, the open standard today, then I can also work with the standard body and influence the standard body to make sure that the vendors can work together and give me the features I need. And I have much more ways to, you know, convey what I want and make the hardware vendors supply my requirements and not the other way around, which is a very important thing for long-term existing code bases, right? It's not something you're going to be only maintaining for two, three months. Some of these code bases can be maintained for years. Yeah, completely agreed. One of the major things that's important for DOE is obviously our main focus is high-performance computing. But we also recognize high-performance computing as a small market in the overall market of computing. And we want to have an open system where people can contribute and collaborate and innovate. That's not just an HPC. Like we need to have a wider community than just HPC. And so like having an open standards body where people can come and join and submit feature requests or come up with new ideas is very important. Yeah, I think this collaboration between industry, academia, developers, and just people in the open is very useful to improve the quality of the standards, to improve the quality of the implementations, and just to drive the science and everything around it forward. So it's very good to have these things in an open community. Yeah, so one of the big pushes over the last, I would say, three to four years within Department of Energy is the Exascale Computing Program. And a lot of scientists and development teams have been working on modernizing their codes. Now, there's obviously a big class of people still running 30-year-old Fortran code, but because of the drive to prepare codes for Exascale, a lot of people started to build on C++ 
And there's certainly a lot of interest when we can have something like Sickle that brings in modern C++, enables the newer, latest features. And so scientists and developers are free to you know, develop with these new like template metaprogramming and all these advanced concepts that we didn't have. HPC had a tendency to be quite legacy focused and we're kind of like getting to move into this new modern age. That's exciting. Yeah, it is. And, and it's good that you mentioned C++ and modern C++, right? C++ is a stable language. It's an ISO standard. And that gives you the stability to think, right, this is going to be there for a very long time. And there's a long industry and community support around it. So you have a base language that, you know, it is going to be there forever in a way. But it's also a good language because it allows people to build both the low-level features that people need, but also the scaffolding that others are going to need to create higher level abstractions that will be useful for everyone, right? And this is attractive for many different domains. So HPC is one of them. And you can see how people is working in things like Cocos and Riot that builds these middleware that bridge the gap between low-level interfaces or programming models and the actual science code that scientists are building. Also, in many other domains like financial industry or you know oil and gas, they all they are starting to switch at least partially to C++, because they see that it's a modern code base that is still something that they can maintain and rely on being there. And it's very good that we are doing this effort with SQL and C++, because then we are taking what is a solid base for everyone to you know, rely on, which is C++, but then we are going to work a little bit on top and adding the things that specifically for accelerators we need, and we're going to sprinkle those on top of modern C++ so we can have something that will be useful for everyone in the C++ community. But the important thing is we will use this, and that's something that the SQL working group has been working on for a long time, is to make sure that the experience we have in SQL are fed into the C++ standard and the ISO standard, so that once in the future there is more support for more relative hardware in, in the C++ standard, the experience of SQL will be included into that, and they will be able to support larger code bases in a, in a more ISO-friendly way, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's a great benefit because, I mean, obviously there's a lot of people who are interested in pushing features into ISO C++, but at the same time, it's quite a long time before those show up on systems and being able to work on Sickle and have an open source, we can kind of prototype those ideas, look at, see how they work on current systems and evolve things at a little bit more rapid pace and always waiting for the next draft three years from now. And so that's like an exciting thing that all the labs will be interested in participating in, kind of feeding these features forward toward the ISO C++ standard. Yeah, from a vendor perspective, so Coplay, we, we do implementations for SQL, but we also contribute to the ISO C++. And it is much easier for us to have a fast turnaround when we talk with people about SQL and what we can do in implementations and spec than when we talk about C++ features, right? Because when we're talking about what are we going to do for C++23 or even later on, then our customers come to us and they change their minds and think, well, that's going to be something in the future, right? But I have the new Intel GPUs coming. I have the new generation of CUDA GPUs coming. What are we going to do this year or the next year? And how are we going to make sure we are prepared to whatever comes in the future, right? And that balancing that we have with SQL, that we can do something today that will be supported in the future is something that is really positive for the industry at this point. Yeah. And also you guys have contributed a little bit to some of the like Sickle-based libraries as well. And that's one of the great things that, you know, the labs are interested in and building out not just the language, but the overall ecosystem, getting more libraries, more ideas, 
more innovation around Sickle and DPC++. And that's definitely something we're interested in. Yeah, and I think the, the One API initiative is really good in the sense that we have a common talking point between vendors and users, right? Because usually one of the problems we have is, well, we go to not just national labs, but companies say, what do you need? And then they say, oh, we need to implement this algorithm, right? And to implement the algorithm, then we need to have some interfaces, some libraries, and we have to come up with all of these and we have to explain to the customers on come to these interfaces. But having the One API spec, which includes a library and the ecosystem there, and things like one in Kyle or one DNN means that we can go to customers and say, right, these are the building blocks you are going to need to build your applications, right? And they're well-defined, they are interfaces there. You can implement things on top of those today. And then we will work with hardware vendors or we will work with you to give you the interfaces and the support on the backends that you need. And that's what we did with CUDA, right? So we implemented a CUDA backend for one NKL so you can actually use CUDAs directly. And we implemented a QDNN backend for one DNN, so you could use QDNN directly in one API. So when you write an application using the one API spec with DPC++ Plus and you target NVIDIA GPUs, if you use the one NKL and one DNN interfaces, you know that you're going to be using the most efficient performance building blocks that you have in the platform, right? You don't have to think too much about it because otherwise, if you are doing this by yourself, then you have to think, right, I am going to be using an NVIDIA GPU, therefore I have to go and use the Kublas and GUDNN libraries and I have to change the interfaces here and there, the pointers and the size of the, all of these kind of plumbing problems, right? It's for us as implementers and vendors to solve and it's not for users to care about, if that makes sense. Yeah, and obviously, the best languages and the best system are great, but if they give up too much performance, then you know no one uses them. And so, one of the things that NERSCALE, CF, and CodePlay are focusing on is, you know, looking at how performance is on the DPC++ CUDA backend. And you know, in our initial some work done by one of my colleagues, Brian Homerding, he saw that you know we looked at the Raja parallel performance kernels, and a lot of those show equivalent performance to CUDA, um, some slightly better, and then of course, some slightly worse. Usually there's some differences in the memory access patterns between the generated code, but we're seeing like really good performance. And so that's something we want to keep working toward. Yeah, that's very important, right? And performance comes from having the right primary model or at least a primary model that is portable, it's never perfect, and having the libraries there to support you. Because in some specific cases, some things like matrix multiplication, yeah, you can generate code for matrix multiplication, but I've been sure NVIDIA and Intel probably on their own side have spent many, many years of engineering effort tuning to the absolute minimal nanosecond or microsecond just to get performance out of those, right? So you might as well use those building blocks instead of trying to, you know, come up with your own. And there is also the chance of you writing your own blog. So for example, we have SQL Blast and SQL DNN, which are, you know, equivalent to to Kublas at QDNN, but for our own hardware platforms. And you can write those in SQL and you can either write the code manually or you can use auto-generated codes or we have auto-tuners. And those things can be built on top of SQL, but sometimes it's just a matter of finding the right building block and just using it when you know it is there. So one of the other big areas of interest in discussion that we've been talking about in SQL is the new SQL 2020 standard and bringing some of those features into DPC++ because, you know, although there's a lot of interest in buffers and accessors, unified shared memory is considered like a big win 
and one of the most critical features to really give the science users a lot of flexibility to build their codes. Yeah, so I think there's a space for both, obviously. USM is an important thing when you have an existing code base or you have a large C++ code that you need to port to SQL and you want just to look at the first person running and you know it's going to work, right? You know, you can do your pointers, your offsets and everything, and you're going to get some performance out of it if the hardware supported. So it's very good that we have it in SQL 2020 and that we have the Intel extensions there. All background in Copley comes from situations where having USM is not necessarily possible. Although you can emulate it, the performance is not going to be great. So if you're working with non-HPC applications like you know embedded systems or DSPs or this kind of a small trains hardware, you need to have something that is much more manually controlled when you use buffers. And that's why we have buffers and access source from the beginning in SQL. And sometimes when you have a code that you have to modify to use buffers and access source, then that forces you to think in a different way and you need to change your data structures to make sure that they will fit with buffers and access source. And when you do that work, we have seen cases that people actually just by doing that conversion give you more performance even when you use USM in platforms that support it, right? Because they are forcing you to think in a different way about your code. I think it's very good that we have USM because one of the higher entry barriers for SQL in SQL 1.01 was the fact that people forced to go through the buffer and access or path. And if you are just, you know, wanting to put a large code base, you don't necessarily want to do that effort, right? Because you don't know what it's going to take you. Or it might just be impossible, right? Sometimes just, you know, having to modify a million lines of code, code base to use buffers and changing the, the pointers to buffers everywhere, especially if you had CUDA before, it's just too much work, right? We did originally Aigen, which is a math library. That was done, that had the CUDA backend, and we wrote the SQL backend. Obviously, this was even before SQL 1.1. We did it in one of the pre-releases of the SQL. That was using buffers and accessors, and we still maintain that code today. But it was a tremendous amount of effort for us to do it. It took us like a year and a half just to get everything working. And that experience actually means that now we have a very efficient Aiken implementation that we can use for a lot of different hardware, right? So it has value on its own. But if we were to do that today, instead of doing it from scratch on buffers and access search, we will start with USM, have something running, and then we can start you know, optimizing the bits and pieces that are important and maybe porting those to buffers and access search. Yeah, I think that's one of the most important parts for codes is the USM speeds up the initial porting because oftentimes these very large scientific codes, possibly 90% of the code base is functional aspects, but aren't critical to performance. So USM makes it easy to get all of that working. And then later that 10% of the code, you can you know potentially switch over, optimize, but it's a much more rapid startup. Indeed. And that rapid startup is what gives you the edge when you have someone that is evaluating the programming model or the platform, and it has a window of, let's say, a month to get some initial results and see if it is worth it or not. If you have to spend that month writing code with buffing and access source, you might not get to see to the end. But if you have USM, then you can have an easy porting very quickly, very early on, and that gives you the value of the programming model. And then you can move on and say, right, now I'm going to invest more time and effort to implement and other ways of doing it, right? The other thing that I really like from SQL, and maybe it's not just SQL 2020, but just SQL in general, is that when you use buffers and access source, you have this data flow model that allows you to automatically scale dependencies. When you use USM, you have to kind of manually do events. 
which is kind of what couldn't last. But one of the features from SQL is if you go down the buffer and access a path, then you can let the SQL runtime do optimizations under the hood and figure out when to do copies and when to update portions of memory. And that's also a really interesting feature from SQL. Yeah. For me personally, one of my other favorite features in SQL 2020 isn't a particular feature in itself, but many of these things like buffers, accessors, queue management, there's been a lot of simplifications in the syntax that make writing code a lot easier, a lot quicker. And that's just easier to teach people when you know it's not quite as so dense a uh, syntax. And a lot of those elements that just streamline the overall language is great. Yeah, I think there has been a lot of work, especially from people like in Intel, to simplify the syntax, right? So you have the same features, and you even have more features now in SQL 2020, but the way you can write them and you can benefit from things like CTAT and c 17, it is much simpler, so your code looks cleaner in a way, and it's much easier to read. So instead of you know, seeing a lot of templates that some people don't like, <laughs> then you get to see much more code that is, is readable. So it's really good that all that effort in simplifying the syntax has happened now in SQL 2020, because at least I now can fit my code in the slides. <laughs> yeah, that's always a good thing. <laughs> yeah, easier for me to explain to customers. So Kevin, one of the things we are doing on this project is to enable features like tensor cores, the async copies on the NVIDIA A100 GPUs. There are similar features in other hardware architectures, but what are your thoughts on enabling this from the primary model perspective? Do you like to see these things as something that magically happen, or do you want to have control and actually write code that will take benefit of these things, even if that makes the code a little bit less portable? Well, I think, you know, the science user would obviously like the most optimal things to happen with the least amount of work, right? That's always the case. So one of the big things that I think we like about Sickle is there's the opportunity to have some non-standard things or extensions where if you want to support a tensor core, okay, what do we need to try to add in to support that specific hardware and see what kind of performance gains that gives. And that's a great experiment and good for people who want to run today. But the worst thing I think that can happen is where people try to jump ahead and be like, okay, let's have this somewhat language hardware independent feature that will somehow be implementable by everyone. And that's easy to get wrong and just creates problems. So I like the Argon and NERSC we like to work with lots of different hardware vendors. And so we don't want to lock anyone out or lock anyone in. So just having the flexibility to try different things, work around. And then eventually when we see there's some commonality, we can start driving toward a standard and then standardize for the future. Because I think we're at a point where specialized hardware, like matrix engines, tensor cores, those type of things are going to become more and more popular to get past the Moore's law type evolution. And so, you know, I think we're going to need to figure out how to support those things. And I think it's important not to jump in too soon and kind of feel a way around and see what works and then try to bring it to the language spec. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense, right? One of the good things of having an open standard, we do this in the SQL working group, is everyone can contribute, right? And the way we will do this in a SQL working group is every different vendors can come up with vendor extensions. So we could come up with a vendor extension from Coplay to support tensor cores and NVIDIA GPUs, right? Other vendors like Intel could come up with another extension to support their own matrix 
engine kind of thing. And after we have a few vendor extensions and we have some implementation experience and we can all come together in one of the SQL working group calls that are IP safe and we can discuss what are the commonalities between the two, what are the things that we want people to be able to target and what are the things that will get performance out of it and will make it usable. And the national labs and others can be there having this conversation. Then we can come up with something that works for everyone, right? And maybe what works for everyone has a lot of if death or, or different things, but in the end, it's going to be a solution that the community has agreed upon. And that's going to be better than anything that we can come up with in a desk somewhere, just drawing in, in a board, right? We don't want to have pragmas <laughs> and directives inside of the kernel doing magical things just because someone thought it would be a good idea, but we want something that will be an effort from everyone that has a stake on it. Yeah, exactly. I think even though vendors might be competitive at the end of the day, they all want to kind of bring together some like quote unquote good solution, right? That requires talking and working together. And I think, you know, SQL provides a good form for that. Yeah. And there is no point in the vendors involved in the SQL working group to create some accidental vendor locking, right? Because the point of working together is so that developers see the value of choosing the right platform for them, right? And if your platform is best for all of the cases, that's even better, right? But by working together, we ensure that vendor locking doesn't happen. This has been such a great discussion. Unfortunately, that's all of the time that we have today. We'd love to have you back on the program to talk about the progress of this collaboration as you get you know, further down the field, so to speak. So with that, Ruman, as we wrap up today, where can listeners go to learn more? So we are working in the Intel LLVM repo. So you will see on there already some patches from our team up there. We have a landing page for the DPC for Classic 4 in our website, coplay.com slash CompuCV and slash DPC for Plus. And obviously you can reach to us in Twitter or emails or anything to get more information. Great, thanks. And Kevin, where can we point listeners to learn more? If you want to know more about Perlmutter, you can go to nurse.gov and find lots of details about Perlmutter there. And for Argon, if you'd like to learn about our next upcoming machine, Aurora, you can go to alcf.anl.gov and find all about the resources we have. Excellent. Thank you. It's been really exciting to hear about this new collaboration. And as I said, we really look forward to hearing more. Kevin, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me on. And Ruman, thanks so much for sharing your unique perspectives with us. We look forward to catching up with you as we get down the road here. Thank you very much for having me here. And a big thank you to all of our listeners for joining us. Let's continue the conversation at oneapi.com. 